Hello and welcome to the Pete Barter Podcast, where you will join Pete in interviewing top-level thought leaders in education, music, and business, as well as a sneak peek into Pete's thoughts and challenges. This episode is all about... I'm just reminiscing and going back through how amazing it's been for the last 20 years of me being involved in the music industry and the people that I've met and the musicians that I've, I, I've created, created people with the love of music. Out of 100 musicians, I would swap all those musicians for one that was as passionate as I am and I was about music. Whatever you are doing right now, keep on doing it and enjoy this episode of the Pete Barter Podcast. It's been 20 years. I've been doing a lot of um, reflection lately, and uh, I, I recorded with a band. I, I'm just in my, this is my little hobble, this is my home home studio, it's, it's tr- completely trash right now. I've got heaps of drum heads that I've got to put on, actually I'm going to do that while we're chatting. Um, I've got to get this kit ready for a, a couple of rehearsals tomorrow, as I stick my phone on the wall with my Velcro. Hi mum, can you hear me okay? Because I'm using this headset here and I'm not sure if it works. Hey Pete. So yeah, it's been, it's been 20 years. 20 years this June since I recorded this album with this band. 20 fucking years. And uh, I'm, I'm very being very nostalgic at the moment because uh, I caught up with the the lead face man from this, Michael Samadanis, uh, in Sydney um, about two weeks ago. And and he said, man, it was like 20 years since we recorded. I never actually clicked. Uh, since then, I've recorded on, I don't know, uh, probably, I'd easily say over 100 tracks for 100 well, for, for lots of different artists. But I've never actually put an album together for myself yet, apart from this one. Mum remembers it very well, and I remember it very well also. Um, even the parts I don't remember, I remember extremely well. So well, I'm, this is not a live video just to go live, just to, this is more for me to document this 20 year mark. Um, so in July this year, I want to embark on recording my own uh, a lot of music with my own band called Trio or Triune. We just changed our name, uh, and I want to record it to vinyl. So I've got a, a massive process ahead of me to do that. But uh, yeah, since since then, 20 years, since 20 years has happened, I've uh, I've played in a heap of bands. I'm just going to wander around and do my thing. I've got to put some heads on the drums, so I figured I'd do the same. Uh, do that while I'm chatting. But yeah, over the last 20 years I've, I've played in bands, I'll try, let's try and remember them. Uh, so Negative Joe was, was definitely not the first band, because I was 17 at that point, I'd already been playing for a, a number of years. I started teaching when I was 16. Um, so I, uh, yeah, so Negative Joe, bands before that, I think there was one called Joshua Tree. It was myself and my little mate Joshua Hancock, who was a friend here on Facebook, I went to school with him. And we just used to jam in the backyard, and I'd invite all my friends over and just give them an instrument, and they had no clue what they were doing. We just we just made noise, and, and it was fun. It was that garage band thing. Some of them continued to do stuff. Someone some didn't. 
Um, I joined uh, another band called, uh, it was a cover band called The Party. That was pretty, that was pretty cool. I enjoyed that. That was alright, a few small gigs. I also did a bit of a, a quick stint with a, with a guy named Dougie. Dougie uh, was in a band, or he, his band was called LIFO, and they had a CD that I recorded on called The Art of Rock Posing. It was really good, um, it was a good CD. What else? There was a band called Coil for a little while. About two or three years I played with those guys. Uh, before Coil they were negative, uh, sorry, they were Novocaine. And then now they're still around, different front man. They've just auditioned a new drummer and, and I got that gig. And the new, the new name of that band, so Novocaine became Coil, which now became Mind, uh, Mind Remover is the name of that band. I'm trying to organize shit at the same time. You can clearly see I'm not very good at that. Hey, Mike Samadanis. I've just talked about you, brother. You've just jumped on board. Yeah, we're still here. Hey, Mike, I was just talking about you, brother. How we bumped into each other in Sydney, went to the basement, and I'm just reminiscing on Negative Joe days, brother, and um, how you sort of quietly reminded me that it had been 20 years. 20 years since I recorded this album. But, uh, and it's been a while since uh, I've had so much fun in, in a band, to be honest with you. It's, uh, Playing in a band is, is always fun. Uh, played in lots of bands, and actually, I lie there. Playing in bands isn't always fun. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. So I try and keep away from the, the times where it's not. Um, let's see what I've got. I've had a lot of good times playing in a lot of good bands, so. Uh, and that's that's the reason that I guess I've stuck around in the industry, because playing in a band isn't always the most amazing time. Sometimes it's you gotta you gotta take the good with the bad, and you know loading in at ten o'clock at night in a really crappy venue, getting your gear stolen, getting parking tickets, getting you know annoyed because you're annoying punters and they're annoying you back and they're getting upset because you're in their way but they're, they're in your way and it gets pretty crazy. Um, a couple other bands, I'm trying to think of the bands that I've been in. Fuck, it's been here. I, love, I love doing the quick little session recording jobs for people. That's, that's something I do enjoy doing. Because it's, it's quick, I get in, I learn the song really quickly, I, I throw down my piece do my bit and then get the hell out of there. But uh, I've recently received this phone call again from from uh, Andy, the bass player from Coil at the time. And he said, we need a drummer. I'm like, well, uh, I don't know if I'm your guy. I'm already in a really, I'm in a band. I'm in a couple of bands. I'm in a band, man. So I'm in a band called Fortunes of War with my lovely mate Wayne 80. Wayne 80 is such a the, the coolest dude on the planet. Uh, myself, Wayne and PJ are the guys in that one and we've been together for three years or so and I don't think we've played one show. No, I know we haven't played any shows. We've rehearsed maybe six or seven times. We've got, we've got some good direction. Um, 
but I really think that it's not that kind of band is oh, it's just good creative fun when you're in the room and, and once again the reason I'm doing this is not for oh my god everyone's watching it's for me to landmark this 20 year period I think it was in June Mike um, if you could refresh my memory I think we recorded the album in June so I've got a few months to go before it's officially the 20 year anniversary and I want to do a fucking show Mike I want to do a gig a negative Joe gig uh, when I was at the music shop earlier picking up these drum heads, um, I uh, was chatting to the guy and we you know, went, went back and talked about bands that we were in when we were younger and he was in a band called Boss Rhino. And uh, like, yeah, I remember those guys. And so I said, what band were you in? I was in Negative Joe. Oh, that's the guy with the white face. Yeah, I remember that guy. So 20 years on, you know, those people that are, are still... Um, I guess in the industry to some degree and working in a music shop. Well, of course they're still in the music industry because they work in a music shop. The, um, the, the cool thing, look at that. With that, it's red. I'm gonna, this kit's gonna be my Iron Man kit. I'm getting some fancy bits made for this. Um, I'll show you the, the snare drum in a sec. But 20 years on, and the guy still remembers who we were. We put on a show, we played some pretty decent gigs, we supported Tea Party at the Adelaide Fringe in 2005 when I was 15, sorry, 1995, when I was 15. I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. I had no concept of what music was. I was 15, but playing on big stages. Looking back on that, in hindsight, I should have been more excited and more involved, but I, I really wasn't. I thought I was a rock star. Maybe. Maybe I didn't. I don't know. I was just a kid. I was still at school. Um, and, you know, getting, getting to play again, in fact, rehearsing on... Today is Tuesday. I'm rehearsing on Saturday with my little funk band called Triune, which is, my, my, I guess, my favourite genre of music. It's a band that I've put together and uh, I like playing that music love playing that music. It's really open and organic, rootsy, urban, funk, lounge, jazz is, is what we call it. Just a three-piece. Uh, I do have a keyboard player that's hopefully going to join us for a bit of a jam uh, on, Friday, uh, on Saturday as well. So on Sunday, I've got a rehearsal booked with Fortunes of War, which will go from about 9am to about 4pm. And then at the same venue, because I'm the laziest dude on the planet, um, I've, I've promoted the fact that uh, I'm going to be in that venue, in that sunset rehearsals space. If we're going to do a um, mind remover rehearsal, then it needs to be there. So it's going to be there, So we'll, and that rehearsal will go from 5 till 10. So it's, it's kind of like 10 hours of... Uh, 10 till 10. It's 12 hours. How's my mass? So it's like 12 hours of... of uh, of, of music, of loudness, loud music. I've actually ordered a set of um, headphones for this. Hey, Nate. Um, yeah, so I think the, the love of being in the industry is not just about the music. That's definitely a strong point. But it's about the friendships. And I, I dare say that one of my closest good music buddies get along so well with this guy, was the former drummer for Negative Joe. So he, he left because he was studying and 
and I auditioned and got the gig. But it's pretty cool to know that 40 years, uh, 20, 40, Jesus, 20 years on, you know, he left the band, I got the gig, and we're, we're good mates. He's got a kid that we, I used to teach his son drums at school. Uh, for those who have just joined, Nathan, this is where I do the teaching, and I'm just putting this, cleaning up this kit a little bit, getting ready for a uh, rehearsal tomorrow. some other parts and tomorrow I've got another 10 inch redhead. Uh, let me show you this snare drum. I think you'll dig it. For those that don't know, I'm a massive Iron Man fan. Uh, yeah, I've got crap everywhere in here. It's ridiculous. I'm kind of restoring a couple of drum kits. But I'm banging this bad boy together. Uh, my, my calculations didn't work too well. Um, there should have been that guy in the middle of all the lugs, but I kind of screwed up the, the thing. But I put that together yesterday. I printed it out with my mate's place, Lee Rothy from Zorro Signs. Got stuck into that until about 10 o'clock. Sort that one out in a minute. Just, yeah, look, just a, a reminiscent. Just the, the people that I've met, the friends I've made, in local Adelaide, other bands that I've played in, my good mate David Kitteringham, good bass player, brother of mine, uh, Rowan Watts, of course, played in a band called um, Amped Up, which Rowan and I and Dave hopefully will put a band together called Arsed Up, because that was the biggest piece of shit cover band I was ever in in my life. Uh, being in a band, you have to cross off a number of lists, uh, cross off a number of things on the list, and one of those things has to be teamwork, good leadership skills by everybody and everyone just be nice to everyone and there were certain people in that band that just had no idea how to manage a group or how to be a human in some respects so it was a pretty painful band to be in and it kind of just fell apart and you know play some shit songs and the cover band stuff for me it's a pain in the ass it's the music industry and now I don't know if this is just me getting given the raw end of the stick the raw prawn. But I played a couple of gigs with the cover band here in Adelaide and, and they played most weekends or every second weekend. And uh, I got the gig in the band, had a couple of rehearsals. The first gig was at like, Aberfoyle Park and then another one at Tonsley like the week after. And so it was a lot of driving. And I didn't even ask how much I'm getting paid. I would have suspected 200 minimum. And particularly for the longer drives, I would have thought it would be more than that. Me being so naive, well, I didn't ask, it's my fault. So you tell me if this is the norm, right? If you're a drummer or a musician, you, uh, your gig starts at 10 o'clock, you have to load in by nine, no, no earlier than seven, no later than nine, so you've got that window. And then you, so you, you leave your house, I live in Windsor Gardens, so it's a drive from Windsor Gardens all the way to Aberfoyle Park. Uh, Friday night and the traffic's just crazy and then the, the, you get there and you're, you're running late because the traffic was crap and you, you park in a spot you shouldn't park in and whoever owns the pub or one of the people that works in the pubs carries on like an idiot and then I'm like just gonna load my gear in because I'm running late and I gotta do the sound check and they're like I don't care you can't park there you gotta park over there so already I'm, I'm pissed off and this is my first gig with this band and so I uh, 
start my gear and I'm feeling pretty shit about the show. Already, bad vibes. And then, um, uh, finished the gig at 1am, packed up, I was home by 3 and I didn't know how much I was getting paid for that, like I said, and then a little while later I, I found out that I was getting 150 bucks for that gig. And then every other gig that I did with that same band was 150 bucks. So not my idea of um, quality money, quality gigs. If that's the norm, then I'm not interested in that. I'm, I'm not, hey Wayne, 80s, join the room. Hey man, it's just talking about you. So if that's the gig, if that's what you get paid to play in a cover band that you don't like playing in, and there's people in that band also that you don't actually get along with, then 150 bucks for all that effort and time, I don't mind the playing, the playing part is good. The playing part is awesome, I really dig the playing part. But the travel and the dealing with the people is not the part that I like. So I wasn't getting paid anything really for that show, I was doing it for the love of it. You don't do that forever, right? So is, is that the norm? For those that are watching, getting paid that little for that kind of show week in, week out. Even if that was your full-time gig, even if you were, even if you were, even if you were playing two or three shows a week, that's still like seven hundred bucks a week. It's a good you know, bit of money. But I've just spent three hundred bucks on new heads for the rehearsal tomorrow. I mean Sunday, Wayne eighty, new drum heads, and look, they're red. Except for this one because I didn't get it in time. I've um, got a new snare drum, new snare drum head. I'm bringing out my piccolo. I'm going to bring the bells and whistles to this one, brother. And so I, uh, yeah, this is my, this is my gig pick. This is the one that I take out. This is a Yamaha, sorry, not a Yamaha. It's a Mapex Venus, the Venus series that I use for um, just the smash bang. I've got my Yamaha recording custom, which I use. Uh, yeah, red does go faster, and that's what you want in your band. So th yeah, just, let's get back to reminiscing. The people that I've met, I've met. Uh, well, I've I've got to have breakfast with Pink's band, and then that followed on from there with with you know hosting Justin Timberlake's band in a workshop, and Guy Sebastian's band, and the guy that plays drums in the band that, that I extremely admire. The band's called Dig, and the drummer is called Terrapi. Terrapi Richmond is someone I call a mate. You know, he's just the most grooviest player on the planet. He's such a lovely dude. And yeah, I really, really love hanging with the dude. Um, I've, I've been honored and privileged to be in a couple of drumming magazines. Which is awesome. Just looking up here, going that's that's the thing. Uh, being featured in the front of a B-side magazine. I'll show you these if you haven't seen it. For those playing along at home, I shall drop the camera. I'm so sorry about that. So this is my my article and drum scene, drumming up business. P. Bizzle, Dave Weckle. Uh, this is a drum scene mag, a different one than I was in. So there's this is um, Australia's leading independent drum schools. Uh, this is my Mark Shulman, my brother, giving me a big kiss. 
uh, Justin Timberlake's band, Darren Ferugia, Pete Drummond, Guy Sebastian's band, so um, Adam Ventura, Terrapai Richmond, and um, Sammy Vincent. This is Brian Fraser Moore, and that's set the Tennessee Kids, it's Terrapai. This guy here, Dre Energy, he's, he's killing it for Cirque du Soleil. And my son Jackson right here, playing drums. Um, Daryl Beaton, who's a musical director for Jessica Malboy. Um, Gary Pinto, who's in a band called uh, um, CBD, him and his brother. This is my uh, B-side issue, so we put six people through a, a bit of a program where they had recorded in their studio and they had um, you know, a big live CD launch, red carpet, all the stuff. Some signed heads, so Don Famularo, that one's, uh, who's that, that's Terrapi. My drum teacher, Billy Warnock, hopefully he checks his video out soon. This is um, John Blackwell Jr. Hope he's doing well. He was, he was in a bit of a bother there for a while. He had a brain tumour or an aneurysm, no, a tumour. This is, uh, who's that one? That's Thomas Lang. That's Mark Shulman. That was 2009, the first Pink show I went to. That was so good. Um, so I went to Melbourne to see Pink and uh, had the three mates with me. And I said to, uh, and I also had a lesson with Mark at um, Drum Tech. Um, uh, the, the music shop in Melbourne and I got in contact with Mark and sent him a message said, hey brother I'd really love to have a lesson with you can we make it happen so yeah dude you know so when I had a lesson and at the end of the lesson he goes so dude if you want to check check out come backstage at about seven I'll get you in I'm like dude it's fine I've got tickets oh dude give those away I got and I'm like, I got three other mates oh that's fine we're gonna that's all good I'll get you in I got your passes that's my American accent and uh, so I gave my four tickets away like there you go. Gave them to some dude that wanted to buy tickets. Sold out show at the uh, Rod Laver Arena. So there I am, me and my three mates and no fucking tickets. And then backstage, um, I rang Mark's phone, but he left his phone um, at the studio and the other guy, um, Damien Corniola, actually answered the phone. So I met Damien. Uh, he's an amazing, wicked-ass drummer in, in Melbourne, um, or in Australia. I met Damien um, and we went backstage, got the tickets. I was standing on... I was standing at the drum kit, so imagine this, this is Mark's drum kit right here, it's not, but it's, imagine, I'm standing here and there's a big drop, um, a big sheet that's dropped in front of the drum kit, and Faker are playing to a sold out show at Rod Laver, and I'm sitting, I'm standing at the drum kit, such an amazing moment, that shit locks you in forever, and that's what I love about what I do, and providing these opportunities for young kids to be locked in. So Mark Shulman, Virgil Donati, Rod Morgenstein, uh, this is Chris Bryan, he's a bit of a monster. This is Tommy Igo, he's an absolute legend. Uh, Tommy Igo was at the same one at Don Famulara was in 1996 and my wife at the time was home with um, my twins in her stomach, about ready to have them and I was at a drum clinic because you know drummers do what drummers do. Tommy Igo's also got twins and so has Thomas Lane. So yeah, that's it's kind of a little bit of a history thing. Get this sorted. Where was it? So yeah, I've just got this little little kit that I'm rejuvenating. Met some amazing people. That's kind of what I'm saying. Playing playing music has so many positives. And here's the thing: like we were talking about this today at the shop, the music shop. He knew me from the band that I was in 20 years ago. Hey, Stefan Hawk, man, you're the freaking grooviest gunner's dude I've ever seen play guitar, man. 
You're killing it. What I'm, if you've just jumped on, what I'm talking about, it's been 20 years since I recorded the very first album with a band that I was in called Negative Joe. And it's funny how you just bump into people that are in that era, that play in bands now still, that remember that band. And so I love, I love that vibe. It's such a, a cool thing. And so I was chatting with this guy today about it. And, and the, the thing was, like back then, there was no Facebook, there was no social media, there was no a real easy way to connect with masses of people at the same time. So I'm thinking, is it is now harder or is now easier? Is it harder because everybody's getting the, the publicity at the drop of a hat? Like, you know, I'm just doing a video right now that it's gonna be online forever and it's it's there. Like to record something, to record a video a day, you know, if you guys are flies on the walls at the moment, I guess. Uh, you want a copy of Neg Joe? Man, I've got fucking 10 up there. <laughs> I'll bring one for you. I'll sign it with blood. Um, yeah, so like going, go back to 20 years ago when I was 17, the social media stuff wasn't there. It wasn't something. Dale knows the band. Dale should know that fucking band, Sarah Taylor, because that band played at um, uh, the Riff Cafe. In fact, I was just on the Riff Cafe website looking for a photo because what I'm going to put in the link to this video is that album. Um, I've just copied it too and I'm uploading it to YouTube right now. So, um, yeah, I'm ripping off, ripping off the, uh, the, the artists of their rightful income. So, sorry to all those. But yeah, we played at the Riff a couple of times, which your lovely man put on. So, uh, yeah, for those that are watching that are in the music industry right now and thinking thinking that how how much easier is it? Is it easier now or is it harder now? Let's, I don't know. It's, it's a very interesting debate. I think it's different now. You have to tackle it in a completely different way. Playing music for the music is really cool, and I love that. Making a business out of music seems logical, but I, for me personally, for me personally, I think that having, it's got to be a bit of both, it has to be a lot of both, in fact it could be 50% of each, the business stuff and the music stuff, but do they ever cross over, or if you play in a band purely for music? Because I doubt that you got up one day and started playing drums or guitar, as well as Stefan. If you started playing guitar and then went, this is great, I'm going to make a business out of this, I think you'll be one of very few who ever said that. I really don't think that is the case, in most cases. Maybe you are, maybe, but for me it wasn't. For me it was, I love playing music and I played in some bands and played at some great shows and... You want you want a blood sign? You what? You want your blood sign, Nick Joe CD from Dale? What? That makes no sense. Girls, you're freaking me out. Sarah, are you drunk again? Uh, so is it easier now or is it harder now with social media? It's very interesting. We have to all be business people at some point. Uh, I'm dealing with some bands at the moment not as an agent, but just as a drummer. Neither of the three bands that I've just mentioned to you, by the way. 
Oh, right, it was from Dale. Yeah, right, I'll, I'll bleed all over that. Maybe I should do a live on fucking Facebook. For those who want, for those who want a Negative Joe CD, these are the last one, two, three, four, five, six. Michael Jackson got in there. These are the last seven, eight in captivity. There's no more. There is no more. Unless you go to cash converters, because they're, they're definitely in there. I've seen them. So if you want a negative Joe CD, do I do I somehow bleed on it? Do I do I put a little cut on my finger and, and bleed on the CD and ah that one's already gone. The very the very last show Negative Joe did was about four shows after the CD. <laughs> um, the uh, the very last show that Negative Joe did, we played two shows in one night. We played at uh, the Austral, and then we went to the Seven Stars. And at that point, my dad was looking after a massive uh, um, big Chevy, freaking Canyonero, whatever the hell it was. It was a huge car with a, with a tow wheel on the back. Uh, it was like I don't know, big, there's like, we fit four, three, four in the front, five in the back. The whole band and the trailer on the back with everything in it. But after the, the seven stars or the, one of the gigs, it was like three shows after we had these made and we're finishing the band. We had like a thousand of these fuckers to give away. They were throwing these things down the street. So, mum, if you're still watching, don't tell dad. Because my dad financed all this shit. If you look at it. Um, all songs are written and performed by Negative Joe. Negative Joe are Michael Samadanis. Michael was on just earlier. Uh, Michael now goes by the name Mike, Mike Sammer. Mike Sammer is one of the leading Elvis Presley impersonators in Sydney right now. And he's kicking freaking goals over there. Yeah, he was actually doing that um, in the streets of Adelaide. He was a painter. He ran a company called A Touch of Paris. I'm going to give the background on everybody because it's gossip. Uh, he ran a, a painting company in Adelaide called A Touch of Paris. He was a little Italian guy running around painting everything. He had a beautiful bright yellow van with all this paint spilled on the inside. It was awesome. And, uh, and we, the Negative Joe poached him to play the lead role in this thing because he was a character and he threw to cool and stuff. And then he, he left the band and went to Sydney and started working in Fox Studios as uh, the captain on the Titanic, you know, the stage show. And yes, Mum has... Mum has the, maybe you have the, the copies, but you also have the original in that, in that safe. Uh, so that's what Mike's doing now, still performing, still singing. Mark Graves is the brother to the original drummer, Chris, or Lay Graves, we call him. Uh, Mark on the album played uh, guitar and, and did some backing vocals too, quite nice backing vocals too, I may add. Uh, Mark is a chef, he cooks, and I don't think he's played his guitar in 100 years. Mark actually went from Negative Joe to playing a pretty cool band called Yakspit. Uh, which was with the drummer from with Chris Graves from Negative Joe, and that was a really cool epic band. Uh, Yak Spit, Yak Spit. I've got to give them a plug. I don't have their album, but I would like it if anyone has it. No, where is it? No, I had a, a Yak Spit sticker on one of these drum cases. So, yep, and then bass. Uh, this is a funny story. So, I don't know, if, I'm not friends with this guy on Facebook, I'm not really friends with him in real life, but I don't hate the guy because he gave me the gig in Negative Joe. His name is Richard McGrath. I couldn't actually think of his surname earlier. 
Um, so we call him Zips. I don't know if he knows that or not, but everyone else in the world that knows him, we call him Zips, because he was like a 30-year-old dude with Zips. And he kind of ran the band. He was the bass player, hectic as fuck, just running around trying to do everything and making a mess of everything too, sometimes. And we played a gig um, at a venue miles from his house and he was setting up and he goes, fuck, forgot me fucking bass. So he had to quickly go home and get his bass. And that was all, of it, all our fault because we were, he was doing stuff for us. Um, so Richard gave me the gig and the very first phone call I had with him, it was on the phone. For like, we were on the phone together for like two hours and I never even met the guy. And we spoke for two hours and I was some 14 year old pimple faced kid with braces. Um, you go through, I'll, I'll find some photos and I'll put them up. And uh, so he gave me the gig. And then as we sort of got towards uh, the end of the CD, because he recorded on this CD, uh, so in about 1998, uh, we all put our heads together and, and decided to sack him. Um, and it was my job to do that. So uh, it, was, it was an unanimous decision. We all decided that he wasn't the guy for the job. We wanted to move forward as a band, and he wasn't letting us do that with his, um, with his vision. So we just didn't align, and we had to sort of cut ties with that, him, and we had another bass player called Sonny Sahado that come in and played bass for us for about four shows. Um, but as all this is happening, Mike, the front guy, is planning his... Exodus to uh, to Sydney, and so he he fucks off to Sydney, and that's kind of it. That's the end of the band, and we haven't played note together since. And I really want that to happen this year. I fucking do. I really, really do, because it was the, and I still think it's some of my best playing. And I was 17. That was 20 years ago. Now I don't even think I've. I, maybe I haven't got any better. Maybe that was it. Maybe that was the truest and the most honest type of playing I could possibly ever do. Maybe. So I couldn't. I, I don't know. I don't think I've gotten any better musically. Uh, so I'll put the video in here uh, later once it's done, and so check out the comments, and you'll be able to listen to the full 30-minute EP in its entirety. Uh, it was such. A, it was recorded at um, SAE. I had a couple of special guests on. Track number seven was my drum teacher Billy. He played a woodblock, um, and we had Chris Angrave play didgeridoo on track seven too, which was really cool. Uh, recorded at SAE in the old um, Patsy Bisco building. I think it was in Richmond. Uh, Neville Clark, of course, from Disc Edits, did the mastering. The cover design that no one agreed on at all was done by the bass player's wife. No one had any say. He just came to us and said, I fucking got it. Here it is. Here is the front case, the front cover of the CD. Oh, that was great. And the back of it was like a, a squashed ladybird. So that was it. That was, that was how it is, a bit like the Spinal Tap thing with the black album. Uh, I think it was a, the Glove, I don't know, one of those albums. It was a funny moment. Uh, we had a manager, Bazimataz Promotions. I think he still owes us a lot of money. So if you've got a pen and paper, write down this number. It won't work now because it's an old number. 0196732102. If you get hold of him, just get him to give me a quick little call. We're going to have a few things to, to chat about. Um, Negative Joe would like to thank the following Mark Shady Anarik, so Shady and Don at the Producers Hotel. The Producers Hotel was where I played my very first gig with this band. I was 14. Um, I had one rehearsal with them and then this gig popped up. And I had no real idea of how anything went. I just sort of, they counted me in and I played until the end of the song. And I kind of do that these days as well with most bands that I play in. Uh, and I wore a purple wig. 
uh, my nana and granddad uh, were in town. They live in Queensland, but they are in town at this point. And we took them to this show. And if you've if you've ever been to the, if you're 37 or roundabout, if you if you grew up in the 80s and lived through the 90s, party through the 90s, uh, you would have gone to the the producers, John Hall brother. Um, you would have gone to the producers hotel back in 1997 or 1996. There was special things being smoking. Wayne, I know you were there, brother. Man, so you walk into the place these days, it just it's just not the same. It's sad. The uh, the whole vibe back then was these big drums of fire. There was no OHS. They were just burning shit in the back. And dudes were throwing guitars into these big open fires. I remember I had a Tama Rockstar drum kit that someone helped me. Tanil, her name was. I think she got a mention. Tanil was one of our helpers, and she dragged my drum kit off stage while I went and got my car. And this is later on after you know got my license, I went and got my car. Come back and my drum kit was all taken off, packed up, stacked up next to a fucking fire drum. So the side of my drum kit was melting. The good time. So I wasn't happy, uh, but it kind of all kind of found its shape and went back to where it should have been. So it wasn't all bad. But that was all rock and roll. Um, so the producer's hotel took my nanny and granddad there, and uh, I remember my granddad was there. He had. Um, chewed up bits of tissue in his ears to block the sound because it was loud and my nana's there and, and you know granddad's bopping away he was probably I don't know 80 at the time maybe 80 70 or something and he's bopping away and this dude comes up to him he goes hey pops grabs him on the shoulder and granddad's like fucking heart attack and granddad had this uh, uh it's not granddad <laughs> the dude had this dog collar around his neck with like no shit galv roofing nails sticking out of it and big boots and that was just how he was and Granddad's like, whoa, what the hell? And Dad's like, whoa, Mum's freaking out. And, and I just thought it was the coolest, most beautiful place ever on the planet because everybody loved everybody. There was, it was, it was just a cool place to play at. Uh, Neil, you know this. You know you've, you've been playing around for so long as well. It's, I'm just being a bit historic at the moment, going through a couple of CDs, and I found a CD that I played in, played on when I was um, uh, 17. And uh, a forest, yeah. So. <laughs> When we played at the Tivoli, <laughs> we played at the Tivoli, and um, the uh, and we set up. This is at the back room of the Tivoli on the big stage, which is now a uh, dining room or the restaurant. And there was a road case, no bigger than just a suitcase. Really, it wasn't it wasn't a massive, but it was a tin box. It was kind of my bits and pieces went in that, and it was emptied out. And it was on the stage, and we're all kind of ready to go, ready to go. This box was on the stage and we're like alright Michael get in the fucking box so he's got he's a little little guy so he got in the box lid was shut and then we're like that's that's how the song started forest by the cure the whole stage filled with smoke and the smoke was all up over the box, it was like dry ice, so it was just going everywhere, it was awesome. And then he started singing from inside the box, and he sort of got out. It was amazing, it was such a theatrical thing, probably stupid, lame and, and, and shit now, thinking about it, but at the time, it was just one of those amazing things that just happened, and, and uh, yeah, Forest was definitely a good song that we lo I love to play. I didn't even know who it was by. You know, for most of the, the time that I played it, I actually thought it was a negative Joe. Um, song I didn't realize it was a cover so yeah I, 
even I guess even the original songs become covers after the very first time you play them. I think we said that at a rehearsal, didn't we, uh, Wayne Eighty? If you play, uh, if you make up a song once, then you play that song again, it becomes a cover of, it, of an original. Uh, good times. What else has it got on here? So thank you, the producer hotel, Lay in the herd. So Lay was the he was the organizer. Every time there was a gig, it would be Lay, the old drummer from the band, that would that would make people appear. Everyone would just come to our shows. The herd. Uh, we even wrote a song, so Munga, uh, we wrote a song for him called um, In His Ambience, Dutch Buds. Uh, yeah, great, good fun. And I'd like to thank Barter's Auto Repairs. That was my dad's business, he sponsored it. Crowdfunding wasn't even a thing, but dad supported me in whatever I did. And I know if you put the hat around now, it's called a crowdfunding thing, and that's what I want to do to record my album. Uh, to vinyl by and have that out by Christmas time. So stay tuned for those that are interested. I'm going to be doing something like that. We're going to record my band to um, to tape all analog the whole way through. Hey Joe, how are you, neighbour? Are you out the front? My next door neighbour's just got on. <laughs> We've got to do another lesson with Nalan, but I'm right, busy right now, so just just hang on a minute. Nalan's a little four-year-old boy from next door. He's rocking it. Uh, what I'm doing, Joe, is I'm just reminiscing and going back through how amazing it's been for the last 20 years of me being involved in the music industry and the people that I've met and the musicians that I've, I cr I've created, created people with a love of music. I would rather have, I would rather have, out of 100 musicians, I would swap all those musicians for one that was as passionate as I am and I was about music. Because we got teacher, as teachers, we have students that are like, yeah, I play the Xbox, and I got a new game this weekend. This is some of the things that these kids say. But for me, it'd be like, man, I got a new symbol. I'd come in from from the week and and go to my teacher Billy and say, hey, bro, I have got new sticks. What do you think? And everything for me was drums and music, and and I'm still doing this. I know you're watching, Joe. Are you watching me from out here, or are you in your house? <laughs> it's a bit weird. Uh, so yeah, the, the passion that comes from being involved, and you know what, I know there's a lot of people who get into music, and this is why I've spent a lot of my time, a lot of my money, and a lot of my effort on building this software system called Plammy, uh, called, called Plammy, what the fuck is that, <laughs> called Sammy. Sammy is to support music educators in delivering a better level of education. Ah, you're at the office, okay, that explains it. Um, Sammy is to support music educators so they can just teach better because I know the admin is the worst part about being a musician. Even filling in the APRA form. APRA, get your shit together. There's got to be an easier way to fill in the thing. There's, there's, there's got to be an easier way. Um, so, you know, paperwork for musicians is kind of the worst thing ever. And one of the things, off, just side note on the back of that, I'm mentoring a couple of musicians at the moment. And they, they, have, they have trouble getting paid for their gigs, but finding out they don't invoice for weeks or months after the gig doesn't lead the, the pub or the venue to feel confident about paying them. They think that it's a little bit of a delayed process. These guys aren't professional. I'll put them off, I'll put them off, I'll put them off. Sonny Sahado, we're talking about you, brother. We're doing some reminiscing, man. Make sure you go back and watch the beginning of this. Man, it's all coming together. So, Sonny... I need you down here um, July sometime, and I want to get hold of Zitz, and we're going to have a negative Joe reunion, because it's been 20 fucking years since this bad boy came out. 20 years! Um, forgot what I was saying. 
that happens. Oh, look, a squirrel. So building Sammy to help manage and support the admin side of being a musician, particularly a music educator. Because uh, I know that there are a lot of musicians that, that start in the music industry, but because they're not coached through the bullshit that happens in the music industry and they go, I've oh, been a band, the band sucked and that's it. It was a horrible experience and I'm out. I think we're losing a lot of good talent because of that. Uh, the paperwork has more... Um, uh, the, having bad paperwork as a musician... I don't know. This is going back before to thinking about does, is there business involved in music or should there be a big fat line between the two or is business music or is music business? It's whatever. I don't know. I do not know the answer. I just know that I do what I do. I play music and I organise gigs and I put bands together. I mentor bands. I've organised... Uh, so the whole uh, ETI Activate program was six individual singer-songwriters they had amazing uh, voices, didn't play instruments and they weren't in bands. They ranged from the age of 15 to 20. And we put them on a stage. Prior to the stage, we recorded their three to five track EP in a studio with session musicians. We organized interviews, posters, CD art, um, red carpet arrival. The whole show at the end of the mid-year concert was dedicated to them. They had heaps of people coming. They did their own promotions. We built websites for them. And they're still running today. Uh, not all of those six guys are still doing stuff. Some of them are stuck in uni and they're, they're really getting their, their head around the, the technology and the technical aspect of music. Others just don't have time for family. But uh, three or four of those guys are, are actually kicking goals in the music industry only because they invested in themselves. And I was more than willing and more than able, able being the word, more than able to give them a leg up, to give them the, the, the social media spin on becoming an artist because I guarantee you right now if you don't have a following and you're a great musician then are you actually get a do you actually have a following is I mean do, are you actually a, if you're if you're the best musician in the world but no one knows you are you the best musician in the world you might just be a good muso I think having, having I don't know, I, I want to know that there's someone out there that I can just have a conversation with about this, so either reassure me or shut me down because I don't know what the industry provides. I just know that I do what I do on a daily basis. As a musician, I've organised gigs, I've organised bands, CDs, um, promotion. I, I, I do all this stuff and I like it. I love doing this stuff. I've spent a lot of my time in the, the business development and the startup area. I think I've, I've been in running businesses since I was seven, um, in maybe year five or year six. I was selling stress balls for my, uh, to my teachers. So I was creating the problem, then selling them the solution. Uh, the money was coming in. I was making a couple of bucks every couple of minutes because I was pissing them off and then I was selling them a stress ball. But the thing was, the stress balls weren't made uh, they would pay me and then I would go sit somewhere quietly during class and actually make it for them there and then. So it was a way of me being exited from the room, uh, which is now called buddy class, I believe, or a reflection. So, yeah. So, you know, I'm just here. I've got some snare drums to, to sort out. I've got heads. I've got a lot of head in this room. Um, I've got a, I just bought a whole heap because I don't really know what's good these days. I've got uh, power stroke coatage. I think I'm going to put that on the top of my top of my piccolo. If you've got any other ideas, let me know. That's going to be a nice shiny cut-through kind of sound. 
I've got the, uh, I think that's a 200 resi, that'll go on the bottom of the piccolo. This one's going to go on top of this drum, I think. I'm going to put that on. This is going to go on my Iron Man drum. My Iron Man, I've got an Iron Man drum. Awesome. So that's going to go on that one. Bottom head for that's over there. Is that it? And I've got a new kick drum head here as well for the gig pig. Still got uh, another red. No one's got, no one stocks these red ones here in Adelaide. So I've, I've ordered them in from the interweb net. It's where people buy stuff these days. And if you're a shop that gets disappointed when people buy stuff online, then I apologize, because I buy stuff online. Uh, I won't apologize for buying stuff online. I just think it's, uh, I shop in my time and in the middle of the night when I think, fuck, I need to get something. And usually two days later I get it and it comes to me. Um, yeah, the geek pig. So if you're a young kid, if you're one of my students watching this, or if you know of someone that's just started a band, or if you know of someone who, who is in a band and they're, they're, they're doing well but they're struggling for whatever reason, keep going. If they're struggling, figure out what the struggles are. Because at some point you have to embrace, embrace the suck. Embrace the stuff that doesn't feel well, work well. I don't know, it could be, it could be anything that's causing the frustration. But really embrace it, figure out what it is, and if you can rectify it, then you'll, you'll have a, you just have to communicate. There's so many bands that just have their little internal niggles just because they don't communicate. I've got a podcast coming up um, with, a, with an amazing communicator, and her, her whole life is about helping people, helping people communicate in a way that just is streamlined and cuts to the chase, doesn't degrade anybody, there's no arguments, it's just a question. Uh, and I've used that, a very similar philosophy. I don't know if uh, Christine is going to talk about this in the same way, but uh, when I feel like there's, for example, one of, the, one of the schools that I teach at, every time I go and get a student from the classroom, the teacher of that classroom, I, I feel like he is like looking down at me like I'm taking his students away from learning to just do this drum stuff. Uh, so, you know, he's, he's just one of the grumpy old teachers. That's just who he is. And I'm getting to the point where I'm just going to have to say to him, hey, man, I feel, I feel like you don't value my lessons with the children, with the kids, with the children. I feel you don't value the lessons that the kids are having. I just want to explore that a little bit with you. Balls in his court. Because um, it might just be my issue, and I need him to reassure me that it's not my issue, or I need him to tell me that it is my issue because I'm stealing these kids from the classroom and taking them to drums. And I know that they all love drums. Um, Maybe they love it more than mass. Maybe they love it more than his lessons. I don't know. But his teaching from the authority, the authoritarian authoritarian education is not a thing that you should be um, doing at all. Uh, if you're a teacher of any description, even if you're teaching how to, be, how to have authority, don't teach how to have authority by being an authority figure. If you're teaching music by authority, if you're teaching anything by authority, kids don't dig that these days. They're onto it. They don't, they don't bow down, they don't go, hang on a minute, you're the boss, I'm going to listen to everything you say. Kids don't do that anymore. The world of, the world of that education has finished. You have to teach them from a space of, of, of enthusiasm and definitely inspiration. If you can get them inspired to want to learn, then your job is done for you. There's no, there's no more teaching, it's just sharing knowledge. And that's what I love. I, I love to just share knowledge about the drums and how I play stuff. And what I'm doing right now is sharing knowledge and my passion for the music for the last 20 years. 
and I'm only halfway through. I got another 20 years in me, easy. And you know, I, I'm really looking forward to having this hit on Saturday with with, uh, with my mate Wayne 80 in the Fortunes of War. That, that That's a cool band and we're, we've played no shows and we've rehearsed four times, but I know it's good. Uh, and uh, I've just got a congratulations here from Facebook. This is your most liked live video yet. Is that because it's been going for 100 hours? Um, and, then, and then the rehearsal directly after the Fortunes of War is with this new band called Mind Remover. And what I might do, in fact, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my other phone and I'm going to periscope, periscope, periscope the whole, um, both rehearsals. And Wayne did tell me off. He, he told me off a little while ago. If you want to film it, you film it. You just put it there and sit it in the corner. Wayne, are you going to let me go live to the greater world? Or do you just want it for my own benefit? I need to, you need to answer me that question now. But with the other band, I'm just going to go live with it. Because these guys need a... We're going to go the social media angle uh, for, the, for um, Mind Remover. Because they've changed their name three times. And they wonder why they're not getting traction. Um, you know, I, I want to get to the point where there's a massive following so when there is a CD out or there is a show, there's people that come to it. You know, I learned that from Flight of the Concords. If you don't know what Flight of the Concords is, you, you've been under a rock. Google it and watch about 20 episodes. You'll laugh your tits off. Providing you've got tits uh, or your balls off if you're not tit inclined. Uh, yeah. So, um, I'm just going to get stuck back into this. Thank you for hanging out and, and watching my rant, my chat, my talk, my thoughts. I really want to do something. If you do want a Negative Joe CD with blood on it, I may be able to arrange it for you. It's very weird. Actually, I won't do it. I, won't, I will not bleed on it. I'll sweat on it. I'll, I'll get a drip of sweat. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. Um, I'm going to record, I'm going to re-record the drums to it. I can't because I don't have it without drums. Uh, I'm going to play along to it and I'm going to do another version of, I'm just going to jam to myself on top of this at some point and I'm going to go live. So um, what you probably better do is follow me on Periscope. I'll probably mention it on Facebook anyway, but when I do it, I'll put the track on and I'll just play along to the whole thing and I'll pipe it straight into the phone so you hear it nice and cleanly from the, from the electronic kit because it will go straight in and you know it's, it's not loud and everything's beautiful. And I'll replay. I'll replay it. But I do want to have a live gig. So, Sonny, I need you down here in June sometime. I want to do a show. We can book the producers. We can book the Tivoli. And we can just get some mates in and we'll, we'll make no money as usual. But we'll play an amazing gig and we'll have fun. Even if we play these five songs, uh, seven songs only, I'll be a happy man so we don't have to do anything else. Just learn these songs. We can do covers. We'll be a Negative Joe cover band. That's what we're going to do. So I'll need you, Sonny. I'll see if Zitz wants to join in too. He probably won't be able because he's got like 17 kids to look after. I need Mark. So if you can share this with Mark and tell him to come and watch the video and check it out at this point. I don't know what uh, how many minutes or hours we're in. Mark needs to check it out. Chris needs to organise the herd. We're bringing the band back together, Edward. It's going to be awesome. I want to do it. But I can't do it by myself, so I need you guys to do it. It's going to be a Neg Joe 20 year reunion. And we can have the other guys that are around that time as well. We can get, uh, we can do a Yak Spit. We can do a Tender Hook. We can do a Sunday Roast. We can do a, um, who else? Timothy would be cool. Uh, who else? We can just do like a whole reunion of all these dudes. I think that'll be sick. Nostalgia, nostalgia sells. 
Nostalgia? Nostalgia? Yeah, nostalgia. I never know how to say it. Nostalgia. Nostalgia sells. There's a reason that uh, when Vanilla Ice and uh, Salt and Pepper come to Adelaide, they sell $100 tickets in 20 minutes to a full, to a full stadium. We're going to do the same for $10 a ticket. And all proceeds go to charity. And she starts on Rundle Street, on the corner of Hindley and Rundle, um, at about 11.30 at night. So charity starts then. I'm out. I'm going to go tune these drums and make some noise. Thank you for watching. If you're a young kid playing music, check it out. Keep with it. Do it. Contact me. I'll give you a pat on the back. I'll give you some encouragement. I'll wear my mini skirt and jump around my pom-poms. Music's the best thing you could ever, ever do. Uh, if you know someone that's learning it or playing it, share this with them. Check, get them to check it out because it's a pure passion and I love this stuff. Uh, what you and Robert Irvine, you're the father of one of the kids. Rebecca, I just had uh, we talked about Jazzy B a second ago, so go back and watch the beginning of this whole thing. It's there's some good things happening, but there's a lot of good things that have happened that have allowed me to stay in the music industry for 20 years after recording this CD. And there's a new one coming out very soon. Um, Jazzy B is one of the fine artists that I talked about earlier. That recorded um, like a three or a three track EP that did the CD launch. Beautiful, amazing voice, uh, and she's still singing. She's saying she's singing. She's in the fringe, man. She's singing, singing shows at the fringe, and she's like, how old is she now? Eleven, fifteen? I can't remember. Age is irrelevant when you're a musician. Not like if, if you're a sports star. If you're a sports person and you play AFL, you get to thirty, you're kind of on your last legs. If you get to thirty, if you're a muso and you started when you're eighteen, you're just getting started. She's 17. Holy shit balls. Man. So time flies and she's just getting started. She's got to put a band together. She's got to organise that shit. Find a good bass player, a good drummer, a good guitarist. Give them a set list. Get your covers done. Add your own originals into it and go on book gigs. Make the sweat happen. Um, I'm playing in two, uh, three bands this weekend. I've got my triune gig tomorrow. Uh, no, Saturday. Uh, it's a rehearsal for a couple of hours down the road at, at the um, GMR, Global Music Revolution. Great music shop here locally in South Australia. Uh, unless you shop online, then you don't need to go there. Sorry about that. Um, and on Sunday, I've got a rehearsal with one band in the morning and a band in the afternoon. Uh, and it's all going to be live Periscope for the whole goddamn lot because it's good fun. You can all be flies on the walls in my uh, rehearsal times. I get to sweat a lot. The bands, the Sunday bands are really sweaty and, and I might drink a lot of Gatorade because I'm old now and I sweat and stuff. Salisbury Secret Garden, 3.30, when? Tomorrow? Tomorrow? Saturday? Friday? Saturday or Sunday? Salisbury Secret Garden, 3.30. Check out, um, check out Jazzy B if you're in the area. If you're not, get in the area. Do some traveling. Sunday. Nice one. So I'll be periscoping live. You should be doing the same. You should make sure that you get people following and just do a periscope in landscape, a portrait, because their eyes go this way, not this way. If, I don't know if I've shared the video with you, but for those for those that do do videos, do do, for those that do videos in um, portrait mode with the phones upright, you, uh, you you're doing the whole world an injustice because if imagine if everybody started filming like that. And people got used to it. And then when they went to display it on a big screen, like the movie theater, the movie theater would have a screen that went that way instead of that way. So the seats would be further back 
to enable to uh, enable to fit the same amount of people in the, in the theatre. Otherwise, they would have to go shorter, uh, fewer seats, and charge more for the seats. So the whole movie theatre industry will shut down just because you're filming in portrait mode. So make sure you're in landscape mode. It's very important. And you can fit more on the screen then, because most screens are that way, not that way. If you're doing in editing, you, you'll figure that out. Tip for the young players. Uh, Jazzy B, I mean, uh, Beck, make sure that Jazzy B records her Christmas track uh, and Stop the Fighting before Christmas this year. I want to hear that. I want to hear Stop the Fighting done properly. Happy to play on it, as you know. But I want to hear that done properly because I think that's got some merit. That's actually one of the most beautiful songs I've heard in a long time. I love playing it live. love hearing... I listened to the, um, the mid-year stuff the other day. Amazing. Uh, I want to I wanna play that again uh, in a live setting, in a recordio setting, whatever. Let's get that one right. And then I know that we could put the words over top and that could be something that uh, I think when there's when there's issues in the world, which there always is, that'll be that'll be something. The CD version is not very good. I don't like it. The guitar was recorded out of time to a click. Um, it's fine. It did the job. It's an EP slash demo. That track, in my own opinion, I would have left it off the CD. Mm, don't know why we put it on there. Musically. It's not clean. Vocally, it's beautiful as normal, but I really, as Jazzy B is, Jazzy B is not normal, she's fantastic, but I really would like to hear that one song as a single in the studio. And if you want, I will check out the deal, what we can do at, um, at uh, Wizard Tone, get some deals on prices. I know that Jacob and Jack will be more than happy to play on that as well. Um, and yeah, I think make a cool film clip on that one. That's, that's one of those heart-wrenching, this is where it's at. Stop, fi stop fighting, you idiots! Stop fighting because it's freaking pointless. Uh, it's yeah. No, I think that sounds good. And then obviously, while we're in the studio, you might as well do the Christmas one too, because I think every year there's going to be a Christmas every year for a long time. So if we can get that Christmas one out too, when I say we, I, I always say we. It's your thing. That uh, talking from a leader perspective, we should do it. Let's make the CD great again. I really encourage the young kids to stick with it and do it, find the time to, to get better at it, find the time to learn it. And I absolutely respect the mums and the dads, the mummages and the dadages, the mummages that are that are managing their, their children's behaviours through music. It's certainly an important thing. Uh, my parents managed me. I don't know if they managed me. They encouraged me. They didn't manage the band, although my dad got me a couple of gigs at really shitty venues. Um, like his workshop in Elizabeth, it was still good, good fun. Uh, this song on the bottom here called Solitude, uh, the way that came about was we were at Munta. Munta was an amazing, when you get to tour and travel with your band, it was just one of those beautiful connections, connecting moments and it wasn't just the four of us in the band, it was the herd, so and there was maybe 30 people that came up to Munta just to see us play two shows. We played one show on the Saturday or the Sunday night at the Munta Royal, um, but on the Saturday the day before, I think it was Saturday, maybe it was, I don't know. anyway, the same day I think it was, we played at the Munta Royal show and we're in a little tent next to freaking some dude playing banjo badly and an indigenous demonstration, two guys playing didgeridoo. And these guys were great. So we did 
like they would play, the banjo guy would play, and then the negative Joe would play a set, and then the the, the guy, the ukulele guy would, uh, sorry, the didgeridoo guy would play, and then it sort of went around the whole oval, and then come back to us again in about 10 minutes, and we'd do it all again, a couple of songs at a time. And we figured, well, let's just play longer, and we'd get the, the didgeridoo next door to come in and jam with us. So he jammed, and then we said, hey, man, you might as well come and jam with us tonight at the Muta Hotel, the Royal Muta Hotel. And uh, he came... All of his family came. It was huge. It was massive. It was such a such a massive gig. So we asked him if he would like to record on the, on the CD. So that song, Solitude, is a seven-minute epic track. And my mate Billy, my drum teacher, my best man at my wedding, uh, he played um, some percussion on this track, which is really cool. So that seven-minute song, which is track number seven, got played on Bob Francis's radio station, a heap. Uh, other tracks that were played a lot was... Um, uh, uh, Empty Streets, a song number three, was used on Triple M a lot. I think they used it for... That earned us a lot of royalties. We're only, at the time, a couple of hundred bucks a week from the royalties from, from this one CD. Uh, just, yeah, amazing 20 years. So what you do is you create your own future. Obviously, we don't know what the future entails, but the best way to see it is to create it. And I've always just been focused on drums and music, and I've had other jobs, and... You know, I've worked in a warehouse and blah, blah, blah. You know, it was good fun, um, but it wasn't me. It wasn't what I liked to do. And I, I remember quitting. It was actually around about this time seven years ago because I got that Facebook reminder shit turned on. It was about this time seven years ago that I, uh, uh, I was driving home from work for the very last time because I quit. Cold turkey, I had nothing to, I, I actually had my appendix rupture, so I had a whole heap of time off prior to that, I lost all my holiday pay, sick pay and whatever. And then on the way home, I was doing the whole Jerry Maguire thing, flicking the radio, and then Free Falling come on. So I remember that song, Free Falling, uh, was on, and I made a post um, that said I'm free falling, because I didn't know where I was landing. And I had to replace my, uh, my full-time 48-hour-a-week income with the only thing I knew how to do, and that was to play and teach because I was already teaching at that point. So that's when ETI became a thing. ETI Music started at that very point. I was also doing a management uh, diploma and a leadership diploma, uh, awards up on the wall there, uh, at the same time as leaving um, the warehouse company that I was working for. But I didn't really know where I was landing, so I had to create it. And ETI was something that I, I, I built. I, it wasn't just something that happened. I built it from the ground up, and the words... ETI is obviously the acronym for Education Through Inspiration, which initially was the mission statement. What do you do? And we needed a name, so we ended up calling it ETI. And then ETI Music is a division of the company. And for those that are watching, and Rebecca and Jazzy that are watching, this is, um, you know, you, you didn't get to witness or be involved in the, the mid-year concert, because there was none last year. There was no 2016 mid-year concert. And I, I know that there is definitely talk in amongst the students and the parents about why there wasn't and what's going on. And I've, you know, my, wear my heart on my sleeves and I'll tell you everything. Um, at the same time as not doing that, my stickers started to fray on my car. So I, I took my stickers off my car and people, even my own mother, she's like, what are you doing? What's wrong with ETI? Is it closing down? Are you going out of business? Is it going bust? Are you, do you need some money? Do you need some help? No, no, uh, totally not any of that. Yes, I did take the stickers off my car. Uh, yes, we did not have a mid-year concert this year, but my focus right now is Sammy. 
And for those that don't know what it is and are not following, Sammy's going to give me the opportunity to collaborate with the world's best music educators, the world's best performers, and to get people in a room, professional musicians in a room, to talk to people that want to learn, cost money. When Justin Timberlake's band did a thing for us, I could have had Justin Timberlake in that room for $900,000. I didn't have $900,000, so I couldn't do it. I can book anybody to come and have a conversation with ETI students or anyone that wants to anytime. It just costs money. My biggest dream is a nostalgic dream. I have a dream. My biggest dream is a nostalgic dream. I put a post up a little while ago and the females got upset because it was a big sausage fest. But what I would love to do, and it's only this has only ever happened once before, the three most iconic drummers on the same stage at the same time uh, drum stuff. And it was Dave Weckl, Greg, um, Steve Gadd, no, Dave Weckl, Steve Gadd, and um, Vinnie Caluda. So those three big gun drummers. And they played the Buddy Rich tribute thing. So I'd love three drummers. And I want three bass players. That's four. I want three bass players, three saxophone players, three trumpet players. And I'm talking the world's best of every discipline. And put them on the stage at the entertainment center in every state and do a massive tour of the world's best, the most accoladed musicians. The only thing that's stopping me from doing that is money. And by and you might be thinking, well, just by having a year off, is, is that going to make you enough money? It's setting up the Sammy uh, revenue model to do that. And, and I happily share with you the revenue model because if you're a music teacher, this is what you're going to be paying to use Sammy. Whether you're here in Australia, or overseas, anywhere in the world, this is kind of the model that we're going to go with and it may change, we're not married to it, but right now the financial documents that people are investing in, and they are investing, uh, is if you're a music educator and you need support managing your, your paperwork and all that sort of crap, and you want to be part of a bigger community, here is what you pay. You pay 26 or 27 bucks a month, and you pay a 2% fee for every lesson that happens so if you're paying, it's like a dollar a lesson. So you're 27 bucks a month, and there's a freemium version too where you don't pay your 27 bucks, you just get less features. So let's do the maths on those numbers just for a second. And it is exciting, but it's not the driver. Just so you're aware, I'm looking straight at the camera here. It is exciting. The revenue model is exciting. We have investors who also think it's exciting. But the driving force and the driving factor is the reason that I do this and the reason I've always done it, and that's to supply the best level of communication, the best level of information to those that want to be educated by it. So let's play with the numbers. 27 bucks per week, sorry, per month, $27 per month uh, from, each from each educator on the planet. Remember that number. Let's chuck that aside for a second. Let's work on the $1 per lesson figure. $1 per lesson, and Let's say there's a million educators on the planet. I'm sure there's more. There's about 9,000 9, registered music educators that are working right now teaching on a weekly basis with about 20 to 40 students each. We know this because we've done the studies and we've done our own independent survey, and they're on my list. I have 9,000 music educators that are currently active right now in Australia. But let's just go global because we're building this platform to be global. A million educators somewhere around the planet now, when you think of India and China and uh, Mexico and the US, you know, a million is extremely conservative. 
let's just go with a conservative number of a million educators using this platform. This is about the revenue model if you've just jumped on board for a platform and the reason I'm, the reason I'm doing this. I want to have further reach and I want to do more for the industry. And by teaching 200 lessons a week with 20 students at my back, 20 educators at my disposal is not going to do it. A million educators, a dollar per lesson. They're giving 10 lessons, let's say they're giving 10 lessons each a week. So there's 10 million students that are having lessons every single week and there's a dollar a lesson. I'm sure you don't need to calculate for that. So that's 10 million a week. Halsey Music, talking about Sammy, brother. Um, I'm just wearing my heart on my sleeve and I'm doing a bit of a live rant about how lovely the music industry is and why I'm still here after 20 years and how I'm going forward for the next 20 to 50 years. And Sammy's going to be the platform that helps me do that and deliver the biggest things on the planet. Um, so the revenue model, let's just say it's a dollar a lesson and there's a, and there's a million educators on the planet and they have 10 students each. There's 10 million lessons that happen every single week. 10 million bucks a week. You know, that's pretty conservative. No one's saying they don't need this. I need this as a music educator. I've built versions of this software before. I've used it. I'm using it now. But this is a far bigger um, production. So that's why I haven't done a mid-year concert last year. And that's why I won't be doing one again this year. Unless it's differently uh, arranged differently. And if we do the same thing as the ETI Activate and the students pay or the parents pay a certain amount of money and they get the whole slather of stuff, then that's something I can do because it's, I'm happy to do it. That, that's something I love to do. But arranging a mid-year concert and making $15 a ticket and have parents complain that they're paying $15 a ticket for one of the most elaborate music education shows in South Australia or in Australia is not good. But majority of people are happy to pay that. But when the little ones complain, when they complain, I don't feel good, but I definitely do take on the positives as well, of course. Um, and then I've had the same parents have also said, what's the point of having lessons with you when there's no um, end result? The end result is 20 years from now, brother. Um, the end result is them doing a video like this in 20 years. That's the end result. I never had an opportunity to play with my music teacher. He took me to gigs, he told me about them, but he didn't put on an event. He was just a drum teacher. Uh, if you don't find value, here's the thing, if you don't find value in the music teacher you're learning from, go find another teacher. And I guarantee you, you'll, you'll probably go to another teacher that gives you less value or the same, so you might as well stay with the first teacher. Uh, I've said this to parents before, if you don't like being involved in a music education organization that doesn't have yearly concerts, don't have lessons with us for now. Um, the 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 one-on-one -on -one thing is important and needs to happen. The mid-year concerts was, was an addition. It wasn't what we did. It was something I did and it takes a lot of time, a lot of effort. We make no money on that. In fact, I only just finished paying off the Bridgeway Hotel and I got a huge discount on that. Uh, it was a massive strain on my finances, and to do it again would be ridiculous, particularly because I've got to focus in, focus down on Sammy. I've got to get that thing happening, and it is happening. So that's why I didn't do the, the show this year. If you're wondering, I love the music industry. I'm putting things into place so we can move forward, not just me as a little old teacher here in little old Adelaide, but I'm just doing why, doing something that someone else should have and could have done. 
whoever's watching this right now, Luke, I'm not sure we've ever met, but I reckon you could have built the very first Facebook. Mauricio, you could have built, built the very first Snapchat. There's no reason for you not to have done it. It's like, duh, why didn't I think of that? So that's what Sammy is. Sammy is a why didn't I think of that? Well, guess what? I fucking thought of it, and we're going to deliver it. It's going to be awesome because everybody's going to love it, and we already get people. People are using concepts of it now, and it's just coming along leaps and bounds. So we need this thing out. Uh, so I'm, that's what I'm doing. I'm focusing on that as a bigger picture. I'm doing a lot more playing this year, playing my drums, uh, playing in three bands, doing heaps of stuff. Um, I actually set this camera up right there so I could work and talk at the same time, but I've done none of this, so I need to get onto this now. If you've just joined, thank you for hanging. Uh, thank you for joining. If you've joined ages ago, thank you for hanging. If you haven't seen the beginning, go and check it out. I'm going to put the YouTube video of this very first CD that I recorded in the show notes, uh, in the comments. So check that shit out. Um, there's some good things coming. I'm out of here. Talking in circles. Love yous all. Ciao. We hope you enjoyed Pete's podcast. Make sure you like, subscribe, and share with anyone you think will get value. And if you haven't already, head to PeteBarter.com for more Pete Barter content. And remember, do something good for yourself and someone else today. Thanks for listening.